Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about foreign policy and world affairs. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this show, we discuss topical global issues. And I have conversations with foreign policy thought leaders who discuss their life, career, and the big events that shape their worldview. The crisis in Western Sahara is not one that typically makes headlines, but last month, Ban Ki-moon visited a refugee camp in Algeria that is home to people displaced by conflict in Western Sahara, and he uttered remarks that created a diplomatic maelstrom. Ban referred to the, quote, occupation of Western Sahara by the government of Morocco. Morocco responded with a massive government-sponsored protest in the streets of Rabat and also ceased cooperation with a UN peacekeeping mission in Western Sahara, which included evicting civilian members of that mission. It has also threatened to pull its own troops from UN peacekeeping missions worldwide, all because of a word. With me to put this current diplomatic crisis into the larger context of the decades-old dispute over the proper status of Western Sahara is Fiola Hussein-Steele. She's not a disinterested observer to this crisis. As UN representative of the diplomatic advisory firm Independent Diplomat, she works with the political representatives of the Western Saharan independence movement known as the Frente Polisario. Still, she does a good job of explaining the roots of the conflict in Western Sahara and the current diplomatic obstacles to its resolution. As I mentioned in this interview, I did appreciate the opportunity to learn more about this crisis, which mostly flies under the diplomatic radar. I'd also note that for one of my long-form profile episodes last year, I spoke with the founder of Independent Diplomat, Karn Ross. That was episode 77. Check that out. He's got a fascinating professional history and tells the story of why he decided to start the world's first ever independent diplomatic advisory firm. So go to globaldispatchespodcast.com to check out that episode and many others. And now here is Fiola Hussein-Steele. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Well, what he actually said was that there was a people under occupation, and he used the term occupation. And while the use of the term occupation is politically sensitive, its use in the case of Western Sahara is not without a legal basis. So the General Assembly refers to Western Sahara as an occupied territory in its resolutions 34-37 of 1979, and also its resolutions 35 of 1980. And more recently, I believe it was in June 2015, the Frente Polisario, who, as you know, are the legitimate representatives of the Sahrawi people, they became party to the Geneva Convention, uh, and they made a declaration stating that they are an authority representing a people who are engaged in a conflict fighting against colonial domination and alien occupation. And this was accepted by the depository, who is the Swiss Federal Council. Mm -hmm. So what we must recognize is that the bigger issue is not that the SG used the term occupation. 
but that the use of the term occupation, in my view, is one that the Moroccans used as an excuse to really stall the UN political process or to continue to stall the political process. So let's talk, let's talk about what, what exactly happened. So if the word occupation was not um, inaccurate, why did the Moroccan government uh, react in, in the way it did? And can you describe what, what they have done in the moments uh, since uh, Ban Ki-moon made that, made that remark? Yes, absolutely. So the current Manuso crisis, I believe, is a reflection of a crisis in the larger UN political process. And the Manuso is, is that, I should say, that's the name of the peacekeeping mission uh, in Western Sahara. That's right. It is the UN mission for the referendum in Western Sahara, which was established through a Security Council resolution in 1991. And that is the name of the peacekeeping mission. And what Morocco has done is that they have essentially kicked out the civilian personnel in the mission, those that undertake the political work in the mission. And this is what they've done. They've kicked them out. And this is the, the crisis. As, uh, and this is what has set off the crisis. So basically, they like revoked their visas, they PNG'd them, and now they're no longer in the country? They're absolutely no longer in the, in the country. They've been kicked out of the territory, out of Layoun, where the, the headquarters of Minuso is, which is in Western Sahara, the occupied territory. They've been kicked out, and I believe that some of them are working in Las Palmas, uh, just off the coast, or also, and some of them would be back in New York. And I should say, from a UN perspective, that's a really extreme move. Um, you don't have countries kicking out UN staff very regularly, and those countries that do kick out UN staff are usually countries that are perhaps have less than savory uh, relationship with the rest of the world. Morocco is is not like a rogue nation for, in the eyes of most of the world. So this step really, I think, raised my eyebrows, um, and and also is a cause, I think, of deep concern around the UN itself. Yes, because indeed you're correct. There is no precedent for the almost wholesale dismissal of, you know, dismissal of a mission staff by a host authority. Well, there any- is. There, there's Eritrea did it. You know, Sudan does, does it. <laughs> Those are countries that are not necessarily part of the deeply embedded framework of, uh, you know, the family of nations as Mor- one would expect Morocco is. Yes, but this is correct. But what I was saying is that there's no precedent for the almost wholesale dismissal of a mission staff by a host authority over the course of, you know, uh, a a time period, so to speak. So Morocco's actions, you know, it is an unprecedented challenge to the authority of the Security Council. It is a brazen attempt to shut down the UN's role in Western Sahara. It is also a direct violation of a number of Morocco's legal obligations relating to both MINUSO and as a good a uh, member of the UN, as you have said, most people don't believe that it is not, uh, you know, a good member of the UN. But what Morocco is doing is actually a violation of its obligations under the UN Charter to carry out the decisions of the Council. It, it really is setting a dangerous precedent uh, for peacekeeping missions. Well, the, the idea is that the Security Council created this peacekeeping mission uh, and correct. that uh, interfering with that peacekeeping mission by uh, evicting its staff is a direct you know, challenge to the authority of the Security Council, and, and that uh, that's the, the precedent you're, you're, I think, referring to. Could we maybe just take a, a step back and, and talk about the roots of this conflict? Um, sure. The peacekeeping mission has been in effect since 1991, I believe. Uh, the conflict predates that. Um, can you talk a, a bit briefly about the, the roots of the conflict, where it comes from? And, and I suppose it really all started with uh, uh, decolonization, right, when, when Spain uh, left the, the territory. 
Absolutely. The issue of Western Sahara is one of decolonization. Western Sahara is the last colony in Africa. And it is also an issue of one of people being denied the opportunity to exercise their right to self-determination. So currently, Western Sahara is a non-self-governing territory. And in 1963, while still under Spanish control, the territory was officially recognized as a non-self-governing territory under the Charter of the UN. As I said, it is a legal status that it retains to this day. In 1960, I believe, the General Assembly adopted a resolution or through its resolution 1514, indicated that all non-self-governing territories must complete a process of decolonization. And during the Spanish colonial rule, there was no such a process of decolonization ever took place. And while Spain actually committed to organizing a referendum in 1972, no referendum was held uh, at that point in time. Um, also, in October 1975, the International Court of Justice had confirmed the legal right of the Sahrawi people to a process of self-determination, which was to include the free and genuine expression of the will of the people of the territory. At the same time, the court also found that there were no ties of territorial sovereignty between Western Sahara and Morocco. And very soon after the court's uh, decision was handed down, Western Sahara was then invaded by Morocco in violation of the opinion of the court and in violation of the resolutions of uh, the United Nations. A 15-year war ensued uh, thereafter between the Sahrawi Liberation Movement, the Frente Polisario, which was actually created by the people of Western Sahara to fight colonialism and achieve liberation of the territory. So it was a 15-year war between the Sahrawi, uh, the Frente Polisario, and uh, Morocco. And how the peace process came about is that I believe in 1978, it was the organization of the African Union, the current African Union at the moment, that created a kind of ad hoc committee of heads of state on Western Sahara to try to resolve the dispute. And they then adopted in 1983 a resolution which uh, ultimately became the OAU UN Settlement Plan on Western Sahara, which was then endorsed by the Security Council in 1990. So it was a jointly OAU UN brokered kind of uh, peace plan. And as a result of that, in 91, we saw the Security Council adopting the resolution establishing the UN mission for the referendum of Western Sahara which is MINUSO, which is the peacekeeping mission that we have been talking about. And, and the, the mission's mission, uh, as it were, is to organize a referendum uh, in which the people of Western Sahara would decide or whether or not they want to become an independent country or whether to join Morocco. But since 1991, that referendum hasn't actually happened, has it? No, and uh, that, that referendum was supposed to take place following six months after the mission was established, but that referendum has indeed not taken place. The mandate of the mission is not a military mandate, as you said. In terms of the mission's mandate, the principal purpose of establishing MINUSA was to organize and supervise the referendum on Western Sahara, and the supportive function was to monitor the ceasefire between uh, the parties. But the stalled political process has meant, indeed, that MINUSO has not been able to implement the referendum or even continue to make preparations for such a referendum. So, I mean, perhaps a cynic might say that those, you know, it was really only like a few dozen UN staffers uh, who, are, who are working on, on this process weren't 
really doing much because they didn't have the opportunity to prepare for the referendum because of the the stalled uh, negotiations between Morocco and Western Sahara, right? I would say no. <laughs> Despite no preparations for the referendum, I would say Minuso continues to have political functions. These functions have actually been set out for them through Security Council resolutions. And they are responsible for monitoring, assessing, reporting on the local developments uh, affecting the people or even relating to the situation in the territory in order to uh, give advice as well to uh, the council, to the secretary general, to the personal envoy of the secretary general, uh, you know, to give information and analysis pertaining to the situation of uh, Western Sahara. So uh, very much uh, involved in uh, political processes or very much involved in uh, assessing the political situation. Absolutely, that is their task as well. So in the UN system, the, the situation of Western Sahara is considered one of the more forgotten humanitarian crises and humanitarian situations. Can you talk a little bit about uh, the refugee situation and how that fits into any long-term political solution to this crisis? Yes, as a result of the uh, conflict and as a result of the dispute between Morocco and Western Sahara, as you know, that uh, Sahrawi people fled across uh, the border into uh, Tanduf and more than 150,000 Sahrawi, I believe, is the number. Um, but I'm not uh, exactly sure of the exact number, but I would say more than 150,000 Sahrawi continue to live in exile in desert refugee camps in southwest uh, Algeria. So they're actually living in attempted communities uh, where they live in different camps. And the camps are named after some of the uh, areas that are occupied in the occupied part of Western Sahara. Oh, so they actually name the camps after towns in Western Sahara? It's actually, there's, some of them are Dakla, uh, there's a Smara refugee camp, and these are towns in the occupied territory on the other side of the wall. As I mentioned, uh, you know, the berm is the wall that divides uh, the people, the Sahrawi people. On the one side live the uh, Sahrawi in desert refugee, uh, in as the desert refugees, and on the other side is the people under occupied, uh, under occupation. So this is the wall that divides the two. And yes, indeed, they have named uh, some of the refugee camps after the names in the occupied territory. Um, and very recently, it was in uh, at the towards the end of last year. I don't know if you recall, there were these huge floods that had uh, damaged a lot of the refugee camps uh, in Tanduf. Uh, they had a lot of flooding. And so the humanitarian uh, situation has been exacerbated as a result of that. So is the fact that this crisis has been so unresolved for so long a result of the fact that the international community, one, it's just like not a, a top priority of the international community, two, is that Morocco has some sway with key uh, members of the Security Council, like the United States, you know, they like Morocco and the United States have a, have a, a good and, and a good relationship. Morocco and, and much of the rest of the Security Council also has a, a good relationship. So is it a matter of the Security Council not wanting to upset Morocco or not wanting to rock the boat of that relationship too much that is stalling seemingly um, indefinitely this this peace process? Well, I, I think it is absolutely two things. The one is Morocco and the other is the UN uh, Security Council. The first is indeed that Morocco over the past uh, 25 years has indicated that it is not really committed 
in any way to resolving uh, this, uh, this issue at all. Because for, for the past 25 years, Morocco's actions have made the UN political process all but obsolete. You know, it has shown that it is unwilling to choose the peaceful, democratic and viable path to a lasting solution to the conflict, because it is the country that has systematically reneged on all the previous agreements, including those endorsed by the Security Council. Let us not forget it was Morocco who refused to implement the settlement plan brokered jointly by the OAU and the UN. It was Morocco who rejected the Baker plan, which was the plan that uh, James Baker had put down to resolve the issue. And just recently, King Mohammed himself had stated that Morocco will remain part of its Sahara and the Sahara will remain part of Morocco until the end of time. So it is really very clear that Morocco has no intention to really continue with this uh, political process. So that is on the one hand. On the other hand, at the end of the day, absolutely, the real blame for the failure of the UN political process must be placed at the door of the UN Security Council. It is the Council's ultimate responsibility to advance the political process, and they have not done so. The political space for Morocco's actions, I would say, has been created by the failure of the Council to either directly oversee the UN political process also a failure of the council to respond to the SG statement that he made on the 4th of November, where he called for uh, both parties to put aside their own proposals and to really come to the table for direct negotiations. And just recently, the failure of the council to respond swiftly and decisively to the current crisis has also reinforced Morocco's view that its defiance will not be counted. So on the one hand, it is Morocco, absolutely. But on the other hand, you know, the real blame is the fact that the Security Council is not upholding its responsibilities. It is not advancing this political process. So, so you represent uh, the uh, Polisario Front, right? The, 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 um, the political representation of the Sahara people at the United Nations through independent diplomat. What are well, you... We, we don't we don't really represent them. What it is, is that we advise the, the Polisario and they themselves have a representative uh, at the UN and they do the representation itself. But we are, uh, as you know, Independent Diplomat is a diplomatic uh, consultancy that advises. Uh, we have clients and we it's really an advisory capacity. And, role. And, and, well, so what what is your strategy? What are you what kind of advice are you giving? What kind of um, steps are, are they taking to try to um, shift the politics at the Security Council to one that's more favorable to actually having this referendum and actually, you know, eventually um, having an independent and decolonized Western Sahara? Well, with regard to the current crisis, I, I think the most important thing is that we need to realize that the current crisis is but a reflection, reflection of the larger political crisis. And what we are advising is that the Security Council must assume its full responsibility and that the Security Council must use this crisis to really, um, you know, advance the political process. They must uh, heed the call of the Secretary General made on the 4th of November to, for the two parties to take their proposals off the table and for the two parties to enter into direct negotiations. So it is absolutely necessary for the council uh, to do that. And that is currently uh, the focus. Uh, well, Fiola, thank you so much for your time, uh, for breaking down this this complex uh, issue. Like I said, it, it's not one that's really on, on headlines or makes many headlines, but uh, it's just, I think, important to shine a spotlight on these kind of undercovered stories. 
Absolutely. Uh, it was a real pleasure talking to you, Mark. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Thank you, Fiola. Thank you all for listening. And I do want to say, do stay tuned. Uh, Monday, I have something pretty special coming up. It is the first of a series of interviews I hope to do with a, well, I don't want to spoil it. So just check out Monday and uh, let me know what you think about this episode and many others. We'll see you then. Bye.